This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the Podglomerate. Hello and welcome to Plus 7 Intelligence, the show about how games impact people. My name is Chess. Today we are continuing our series on games and social change. We will be talking about one of the biggest serious games projects to date. It's called iCivics. iCivics created an entire series of games designed to teach civics in the United States. So in these games you might take on the role of a jurist in a court case, or running a presidential campaign, or representing your state in Congress, or guiding immigrants on their path to citizenship. And iCivics was founded in a truly unique way. It all began with former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor wanting to find a way to get people more engaged in civic life. And in the interview, you'll hear a little bit more about how games became the answer to this challenge. And these games are really exciting because they have been shown to actually change how players see themselves and the change that they can make in their communities. So here's my interview with Carrie Ray Hill, who walks me through how iCivics is reaching thousands of students across the country. All right, with me today is... Carrie Ray Hill. She is the Director of Digital Learning at iCivics. Thank you so much for joining me, Carrie. Hi, pleasure to be here. In talking about iCivics, why were games chosen as the way to promote an understanding of civics? Well, the lore of this is that uh, once Justice uh, Senator O'Connor retired, decided that she wanted to promote civic education and learning, that was the easy part. The hard part was how. Um, and long story short, uh, Professor James Paul G. of the great uh, University of Arizona at that time um, basically had a conversation with her and she walked out the other side of that meeting and decided, yeah, we should do games, which I don't know what magic was, what happened in that room. But um, he convinced her that there was uh, a lot of promise there and it was a, a lot of innovation and opportunity. Um, the nitty gritty answer to your question is that games really provide an opportunity to let players take on roles, navigate systems, fail safely, which is a big thing with education, and engage in bigger-than-life kind of activities. That's why we play Call of Duty, you name it. You know, that's that's why we play games. And civics might kind of seem as a traditionally stodgy, dry, procedural kind of subject. And unfortunately, it tends to alienate students more than it does engage them. But if you think about it, like from a game perspective, it's actually full of interesting roles, being the president, a justice, a congressperson, a voter, you name it. And it's also all about systems, right? The Electoral College is a system that has to be navigated, the judicial system, all kinds of steps and things to figure out there. Um, And just citizenship in general 
is is a system and, it, and there's a lot of things to navigate in it. Some of us are better than others at that. So really, we want to have students see themselves as citizens and as engaged citizens. And games really help us do that by throwing them in the middle of it. That's great. Yeah, I actually talked to James Paul G uh, for an episode of the show that it wouldn't have aired by now. That's a little bit down the road. But uh, yeah, when I talked to him, I didn't even know that he was involved with iCivics at all. And uh, consider him our fairy godfather and Justice O'Connor our fairy godmother. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after talking to him, I can I can see he's a very persuasive uh, individual. And uh, yeah, it's interesting you 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 talked about how in games people get used to the idea of being part of a a larger picture, a larger story where they are doing something impactful. And that's something that's really interesting about games is. In a lot of games, they give you an empowerment. You know, you are a superhero. You are a this awesome soldier. You are changing the course of history. And then also in some multiplayer games, you are working as part of a team. So I can definitely see how it kind of aligns with the idea of talking about, you know, how can how can politics change? How can, you know, the way that society kind of runs change? That's an interesting parallel there. Citizenship is a superpower. I don't think we, we we're there yet as thinking about that, but when you do kind of break it down, there's some pretty awesome things that can be done. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. So were there other games out there that you look to for inspiration when creating iCivics and as you continue to develop games for iCivics? Yeah, early on, I would say um, the basic mechanics of Diner Dash were really influential, mostly because... Since these roles are all about managing a lot of competing priorities, um, it kind of it kind of made sense. So, do I have a right? Which is our most popular game. Uh, you run a law firm and defend constitutional rights. So that doesn't sound very diner dashy. But you have a never ending stream of clients who have problems. You have to then figure out um, do they have a right, and then you have to figure out who they talk to if they do have a right. So each of your lawyers covers different particular. Um, amendments. And so really, it's kind of a matter of uh, juggling a bunch of of requests and resources and then divvying those out. Another example, executive command puts you in the Oval Office and you have to basically execute the tasks of the president. Everything from speaking with Congress, doing your diplomacy work, and then uh, divvying out the jobs of executing laws to your various cabinet positions. So that, again, is resource management and role. And basically, it's always a flurry of activity in our games. Uh, the education part basically just slips in. So one of the best parts of my gig is getting to see kids kind of have that aha moment of realizing that I'm not just playing, I'm actually learning. So back to your question, Diner Dash was really kind of a, a first initial inspiration. Uh, counties work, you run your own county in that case. And that's also, you know, a lot of competing priorities and assignments. And... As far as other games, we've really kind of looked at the mechanics from more of a learning objective perspective of, so what are we trying to teach and what mechanics works to that end? So the rest of it, I would say, is we kind of draw inspiration in bits and pieces from other places of games, um, not kind of wholly um, absorbed by anything else. One of the common questions that comes up when talking about games used for education is how friendly are they to to people, to kids who are not familiar with games. And so what age range and what 
level of familiarity with games are iCivics games catered towards? We initially really focused in on the middle school um, group because in addition to our, I think, 20 games now, uh, we have over 150 lesson plans and a whole curriculum, right, that the teacher can use as as like traditional paper-based activities and whatnot. Um, The games, though, this is like actually a very important question to me because I don't kick me off this, but I'm not a gamer (laughs) Um, (laughs) by nature. I just I, I came in an age where I just didn't necessarily I didn't get the Nintendo that everybody else got and I did not grow up playing. So I personally approach all of our games from the perspective of both the teacher who may not be, quote, a gamer, even though more and more teachers are now considering themselves gamers. Mm-hmm. And from that kid who may just not enjoy it that much or have access to it, which I know is a dwindling percentile, but it's they're, they're still there. So in order to reach everyone, which is what Justice O'Connor kind of told us, is that we had, we had to literally reach every single student in the United States as our goal. And obviously, they're teachers. We have to reach them, too. We really must make our games that are accessible to all and engaging to all. So I make sure that things don't get too gamey. And when I say that, I mean, don't rely too heavily on tropes and, and assumptions that maybe a much more experienced gamer would have. Because honestly, if they have to explain it to me, it, it won't work. <laughs> you know, as we, as we go the game, if I don't understand why this is happening or if there's an Easter egg that doesn't make sense to, to explore or something. And honestly, I had to learn about Easter eggs, but they're worth having. Um, <laughs> we make sure that it makes sense and is not overwhelming. And to double down on that, um, I create game guides for teachers that literally walks them through like a tutorial um, to help them understand all the ins and outs of a game, all the ways to teach with it, but really more make them comfortable with the digital game aspect of what we're teaching with. Mm-hmm. And none of that hurts the game, right? If 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 I have to think about and kind of challenge my team to to think as both gamers and non-gamers, which they're really good at anyway at filament, um, it never hurts the game. It it only makes it um, more focused and uh, more more condensed for the learning and for the fun. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we make sure is that all of our games have some type of in-game tutorial. So whether it's the first interaction that you have in the game walks you through it, or we have a help reference in the game, all of that stuff is also there because to assume that kids are digital natives and that they're also super awesome at video games just isn't, isn't a fair assumption. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we make them for everybody um, and make sure that we support those who may not be super savvy at it. Mm-hmm. I, I will admit I play Call of Duty on the Wii, which I've been told is like not great. So <laughs> like I I just bought a Wii when I started working at iCivics. I knew I had to know how to play some kind of video game. I became a very good sniper oh. for the rest of it, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the video games. I've always thought that video game tutorials, when you sit down and play a game, uh, a modern game, the tutorials for them are are truly incredible because they will walk you through things step by step. And not only that, but they try to give you context for what you're learning. They teach you how to jump by f- making it so that you can't get across an obstacle unless you know how to jump. You know, you can't get to the next door unless you, you know, can learn to attack the enemy. And then once that enemy is defeated, now you can get the key and move on. I always thought that video game tutorials, they could be an excellent model for teaching anything. Absolutely. If you can apply that. And then 
you know, throughout the game, after the tutorial's over, the games themselves are designed to feed in pieces of information bit by bit. And then by the end, you know, I can just rattle off all this information about Pokemon that has stuck in my brain for like 15, 20 years. <laughs> um, so since you mentioned it, I think you probably are the first person on the show who wouldn't describe themselves as a gamer. So what was it about iCivics and about games that got you on board with a, a project that was so heavily that was so heavily featuring games as an education tool? I snuck in the back door. So I um I was teaching in, in Washington, DC, and um some friend of mine in the social studies kind of world said, hey, you know, just so Connor's got this thing, you should check it out. So I did, and I actually came on as a curriculum writer. So I, I was writing the lesson plans and then slowly kind of got pulled into helping with writing content for the games and doing research to that end. And then started kind of helping with brainstorming ideas for games. And then fast forward eight years and I'm making them. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was it was kind of um, a, a fun interesting way for a non-gamer to basically be doing this. I rely mm-hmm. so heavily and I've learned so much from the team at Filament Games that, that we work with that I I now can kind of contribute mm-hmm. as much as I can um, from kind of thinking about mechanics and thinking about simplifying it and, uh, you know, how to, how to really take the teacher perspective, keep in mind the non-gamer perspective. So I kind of provide a lot of those maybe the the nagging perspectives of the, of the non-normal, but I provide that little little rain cloud when necessary to, to kind of bring it down a notch. Um, but the I've just learned so much in the last eight years and it's I'm still wouldn't wouldn't necessarily call myself a gamer because I just don't get the time to do it much with the little one at home, but I do really enjoy um, the culture and uh, learning about how other people um, engage with games and the whole serious game and games for change kind of groups of people. It, it's just an amazing, um, amazing group of folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great perspective to have. I mean, I've seen cases where, where design has been proposed for a classroom and it involves using an Xbox controller. But if you didn't grow up playing with an Xbox controller, it's an extremely intimidating device. Yep. <laughs> when I was a kid, I didn't have a console. So I was great on the computer, but if you hand me a controller, you know, kids learn fast, but still in any time there's that hurdle of, wow, I don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. And then you're expecting me to learn about something else while I'm, you know, just getting the bare fundamentals down. So anyway, so th- I think that's great that there's a variety of perspectives going into this. And actually what you mentioned about not like the game part of something is that you have to have a skill at um, this. I just was talking with some colleagues about this is that oftentimes, and I would have done the same teachers kind of ask us what score range goes with the grades. So like what grade can I give a kid for the score or that score in a game? And mm-hmm. I kind of have to go into my, my preacher mode and say, don't do that, please. Um, because, you know, the game is meant to teach as we design mm-hmm. it, not to assess and what you're doing is assessing your ability to pick up on all the all the content. Yes, right. That's a definite core part of it. But uh, a game like When the White House, there's so much strategy and so many ways to kind of keep playing and getting better at it that mm-hmm. any one score isn't a grade, right? And so then I tend to say, if you really have to have something in your grade book, 
have them play twice and show improvement, pass, fail, you know, or do something to kind of talk mm-hmm. about that. But oftentimes I think when you put a number as a score, people who have to put lots of scores and grade books out of necessity, which I totally get because I was one of them, um, tend to want to kind of just translate that. And I, I don't want to ever penalize a kid for exploring, for kind of failing intentionally to learn the system, um, to kind of be that the kid who kind of just, when we play tested executive command, I had kids destroying the world basically with their choices because they wanted to break the game. And so we learned a lot from that process. Right. Um, and you can still learn from the game and have a miserable score. So, you know, that, that's just an interesting part of learning games is that if they're really ex- exploratory and you really get to experience stuff in there, um, scores don't necessarily show success in learning. Right. How is iCivics, how is it incorporated into classrooms? I know that a lot of them are available to just play. It sounds like you're also kind of partnering with teachers and schools and and applying them there. Right. So we kind of present this when I talk to teachers, it's games as a part of a curriculum. So if you recall back in the day, you know, you may have had a textbook for civics or a textbook for history class, and maybe your teacher brought in some fun activities to do, you know, simulations or mock trials or whatever. This is kind of a thing where teachers can kind of come in, um, have the kids play any game they want on, you know, Fun Friday. They could use Win the White House to introduce the idea of presidential elections. They could teach executive command at the end of a unit to kind of reaffirm what they've learned. It's really, I guess, a a toolbox that we provide teachers. And since it's free, um, you know, we're not requiring a lot of hoops or money. You just have to have a a teacher account to access all that good stuff. Um, And so every teacher honestly does it differently. So I don't have like an answer of the perfect way. Um, A lot of it's going to depend on access to technology, right? Socialized teachers, unfortunately, have to get in line behind all the STEM courses, usually for computer access, if they don't have their own. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a reality. Um, and then after that, they have to fight with testing access um, for, you know, state testing and stuff. So some teachers will have one-to-one and say, hey, let's integrate each game into each unit that I teach. Um, other teachers will just say, pick a, pick a game and play it and let me know what you think. Uh, we found that pair play is really awesome in classes. Um, I know it might sound like if you walk into a classroom and every kid is in a head in the screen and like playing silently, that might be really exciting to watch or engage with. And it's not, it's super, (laughs) you know, they're having fun, but there's not a lot of communal happening. Mm -hmm. So we found that pair play, um, works with almost every game that we have. And cause kids have to kind of discuss and debate their choices And there is some deep stuff happening in those conversations, even with like sixth graders deciding how they're going to run a media campaign in a presidential election. Like they're bringing up stuff that I would not have even assumed would be discussed in high school. Like it's amazing. So pair play is a really fun way, especially if you have limited technology. Um, Another way, some games work better than others that a teacher could show on a whiteboard and have the kids kind of coach her to to play the game and make decisions. Mm -hmm. So there's both like the physical play of the game that's very diverse. And then there's the actual implementation, which um, it really is up to the teacher on, on to how to do that. But they, they have the free choice to, to do play with those tools however they wish. That's a great setup. I think that there's a lot of flexibility in how it's used. I think it was Jim G who mentioned that one of the 
reasons that iCivics can be successful is that civics is a subject that isn't tied to any standardized tests. So you can be a lot more flexible in what you teach, how you teach it. I mean, I think that's great. I think that that's one of the huge potentials for games for education and you know applying games in, in interesting ways is that there's so many different ways you can create a game, so many ways you can implement a game. There are places that try to go full in on the game and make the make a game the entire system for a curriculum. But I think that there's a huge amount of potential of just doing what you're mentioning, incorporating it into particular modules or at the end of the year or wherever it it makes sense to support an already existing, you know, education system, teachers that already have their, you know, their methods, their wisdom, and kind of combining it all together. Yeah, we really try to meet teachers where they are and kind of pull them a little bit along, you know, the, the kind of digital tool trail, I guess, um, and show them there's lots of different ways to do things. And that, that's um, that's because basically over half the staff at any one time at ICIVICS are teachers or have been teachers. And we really rely heavily on our educator network to talk to them, to understand what they need, understand what they don't need. Because I think a lot of times um, there's a lot of neat things happening that just fall flat in the classroom because they don't talk to teachers. Um, that's just, you know, you got to know your audience. And we, we've worked really hard to make sure that we know them. Um, one thing about testing and all that good stuff is there some states are like Florida has a standardized test for seventh grade, but it comes down to standards because whether it's tested or not, teachers are kind of a little shoehorned in, not, not as shoehorned as the other subjects as uh, Jim says, but, but basically the idea that there are certain things that have to be covered. And that's been our guiding light as far as what games to make and how to make them is we kind of, live and die by those standards and the coverage of those standards. And then um, that helps us make, decide the mechanics to do and the content to create. So that's really, if you look at our game suite and our, our supporting materials, that kind of gives you an idea of what um, most state standards require as far as civic education, if they require it. Because we've got some states that have standardized tests connected to it. And then we have some states that don't even require you to teach it. So, you know, that's a whole nother, a whole nother podcast about needing more <laughs> civic education uh, requirements, but um, it is good that we, we do have a little more leverage than, than most. This episode of Plus 7 Intelligence is brought to you by Mr. Koya. Every day for work, I wear a short-sleeved button-up shirt, and I confess that I've put people to sleep with my milk toast wardrobe. Thank goodness I found out about Mr. Koya because they are laser-focused on creating awesome versions of that exact type of shirt. If you like something loud and bold, you can get it there. Or if you like me and want to be more low-key, they have some sharp, subtle options as well. Plus, they are committed to sustainable practices that are great for their employees, their customers, and the environment. And they are always looking for ways to take it to the next level. As they put it on their website, it's kind of like Super Mario. You don't get to Yoshi's Island without making it through Iggy's Castle. Go to www. MrKoya.com slash plus seven intelligence. And at checkout, enter the code plus seven to receive 20% off your order and free shipping when you buy two or more shirts. Plus seven intelligence is also supported by the podcast History of Fun. History of Fun is about the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. I really enjoy the premise of the show. And as you might suspect, I especially love the episodes about retro games 
or the invention of different board games. A recent episode that launched me into nostalgia was about the history of gaming on the TI-83 calculator. That's the calculator I had all throughout high school and college, and in fact, I'm looking at it right now. And I have lots of stories about games my classmates and I used to play on the TI-83 because teachers didn't know that they had games. But I digress. Take a listen. Hey, I'm Russ Frostick, the host of the History of Fun podcast. Each week we explore the hidden backstories behind the things you love to do. For example, did you know the Neopets were led by high-ranking members of the Church of Scientology? Also, this kind of blew my mind, the original Mr. Potato Head was, wait for it, a real potato. If any of that sounds interesting to you, new episodes of the History of Fun are added every Monday. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. What are some of the biggest design hurdles that you have faced in creating games about civics? Sure. Um, I think the biggest one is simplifying concepts <laughs> down to understandable levels. Um, right now I'm working on turning like the Federalist debate, if you guys remember reading Federalist 10 or, you know, an anti-Federalist pamphlet, turning that entire experience into something that's a fun game. That's that's tough because we have to kind of come at, come at it from the academic space and start to boil things down to understand it better. Um, simplifying the electoral college and presidential campaign concepts into a game. Uh, the Constitution and like big, big ideas that even adults have our time kind of munching on, um, making it simple and then making it a game. So, you know, engaging kids in federal government isn't easy. So we try to find the things that allow them the most, most agency. How can we make voting meaningful to kids who may not reach the polls for another five years, right? There, there's all kinds of things that, how do we make this stuff sticky and important and um, meaningful to kids that may not be able to exercise these kind of skills um, as uh, fully until they're older? Um, so that's one big thing is just making it understandable. And, that, and any teacher knows that that's the challenge of teaching, <laughs> right? Taking big ideas and making mm -hmm. them understandable. We just have to like squeeze it into something that can be played in 45 minutes. And I'd say that's the other big design hurdle is how can we make an experience fit in a normal classroom? So, you know, these big massive games that take up an entire semester or require hours and hours and hours of play work if a teacher can fully dedicate herself to it. But really, I want a teacher to come in, sit down, take role, show our kids where to go, let them play, finish the game and talk about it or talk about mm -hmm. it the next day. Um, it has to fit in a period. Um, and that's just super, uh, that's a basic requirement for all of our games. If it, it has to be played in 45 minutes or less and, and mm -hmm. get the full experience. I'm curious, have there been any mistakes in creating educational games and how did you go about fixing them? Yeah, I, I'm going to call them learning opportunities <laughs> rather than mistakes. Naturally. Um, you know, because I'm a teacher and you know, there's no dumb questions. There's no mistakes. Um, one of the things, and this is before my time, but um, we had toyed originally with this big multiplayer game that would be played outside of school, kind of just because kids would want to play, right? Um, but basically that turned into a budget killer because we were just a wee baby, you know, nonprofit just getting started. And honestly, we weren't sure how to reach the kids 
when they're already in like triple a game space and we would mm -hmm. never be able to meet that or match that um so with a lot of guidance from a really great set of advisors um and talking more to teachers we decided to spend our money on and time honestly on smaller school-based games and really get to the students through the teachers um because they're kind of a captive audience they teachers need those resources and we would never be able to compete with AAA games. I mean, that's just not realistic. So um, we went kind of from this big encompassing massive thing to, Hey, why don't we just kind of break it up and make these smaller experiences that are focused and then really think about how to get them in and then support them once they're in the classroom. Um, so that's one, right? We went too big and figured it out pretty quickly and got smaller. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's really worked out for us. And incidentally, they get played at home for fun now, too. <laughs> so that, that kind of goal of having kids, you know, having self self motivation to play. Um, I've had a kid email us saying that he got in trouble because his mom caught him playing one of our games at like two in the morning and he got. Busted. And I was like, oh, he, you know, that, that makes me feel warm fuzzies inside and also a little guilty. <laughs> but, you know he wasn't assigned to do it. He just wanted to do better than what he did at school the day before. So um, we, we met kind of our goal with a completely different route. Um, we also had one game that never made it to launch that kind of relied too much on metaphor. Basically you built a nation and a government that was a vehicle. Okay. And so as it went down the road of time, you would um, address various problems or uprisings or challenges and how you dealt with them kind of built on this this vehicle so you eventually developed a representative democracy through your choices or a military junta with your choices and basically how your choices decided how long your vehicle could run the mm -hmm. running time basically and it was just too much there there were too many um kind of leaps to get the analogy, to get the metaphor, to get the messaging. Um, although I still think it's a, it's, it's a good core that we just need to work on. Um, but there were so many things that kids had to understand before you got into the game that it just wasn't going to work. So it lives on a shelf somewhere in, in internet land. And I'm, I'm still trying to figure out a way to make it happen, <laughs> but, but, you know, breaking it down so that we don't have to do so much contextual backup and that we can kind of show a really good core idea um, about the roots of government and where, where decisions are made and how things develop. Um, you know, there's just some awesomeness waiting for it. It's just not, not there yet. <laughs> that sounded interesting to me, but yeah, I can definitely see the, the issues. <laughs> it of... is interesting. It just wasn't, it wasn't kind of hitting all the marks for us. Um, and we were still able to kind of experiment and, and uh, we just decided that probably wasn't gonna, wasn't going to be as successful as it should be. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about assessment earlier, but what feedback or measures do you have to gauge the effectiveness of iCivics games? That is a great question and one that we're always trying to figure out different ways to answer um, because it's asked all the time and there's lots of ways to think about it. I think as a former teacher and someone who really cares about getting civic education real large, you know, to kind of happen more, um, one study, well, multiple studies have kind of looked at the effectiveness. Um, and a couple of things that we know, 
One is that even as polarized as stuff is right now, 95% uh, of teachers think that iCivics is trusted and nonpartisan as far as a resource and that it fosters civil conversations about current events. So it's kind of a gateway. It, it opens a door to um, discussing and learning about things without worrying about partisanship and um, kind of imbalance of coverage. So that's something that we're really proud of. And, you know, our teachers are able to like confirm that, that what we're working really hard to do is, you know, is happening. Um, as far as the games, uh, Baylor University has done some studies with uh, their summer camps and with other um, kind of games, no games uh, scenarios. And one study, I believe, showed that students did, um, I think, around and I'm sorry, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but around 14% better on a pre and post test for knowledge um, before and after they played a game. If they played a game and did an associated lesson plan where the teacher kind of talks about it more and unpacks things, I think it was closer to 47% increase. So games aren't alone the answer. And I know we're all looking for that magic pill, um, but what games can do and, and do based on what we've seen is bring civics education to a little bit of a higher level. It brings the engagement up a good bit and basically playing games and engaging in other good practices around civic education, like talking about engagement and providing opportunities for activities, things like that. Um, all of those things kind of result in increased understanding of obviously the civics content, which is the basic thing we hope for. Um, but also looking at their attitudes regarding civic engagement and a increased sense of efficacy and their ability to make a difference in their community. So they're able to see themselves in roles and in pieces of agency that they would have never been able to see otherwise. Um, and so that's another piece of it. Um, and generally bigger picture civic education Better civic education means better civic engagement um, on the on the big picture, and so we're kind of hoping to be a little bit of a of a, a boost in getting kids excited in a way that um, they don't really necessarily get in traditional civic ed. Mm -hmm. In that one study that you mentioned that saw improved test scores, do you remember how much time they spent playing that game to measure the difference in that study? Was it? One time playing a game, was it over a semester? I, I believe it was a, a single play. Wow, that's incredible to see any difference over such a short time. Yeah, we do. It, it's pretty impressive. And what what I love to is have more studies, right? Um, I want more studies so we can have more more information like that and see the different ways it's taught and how that affects efficacy as well. Um, we do create our games to be replayable as much as possible. So we usually write about twice the content that you need to play through a game. And like within the White House, you can play for both, you know, the Republican or play as a Democrat. Um, in Lawcraft, you know, you can pick which House of Congress you want to play as. So there's lots of different ways to play it differently and come at it from different angles within the game itself. Um, so those are all opportunities to kind of double down and make that learning even stickier um, for sure. So can you talk about what your role is as the director of digital learning and, uh, and what you're in charge of? Sure. So um, like I said before, I started out as a curriculum writer. So I was really doing just the lesson plan, not just very important core of what we do. Um, I was writing lesson plans and doing a lot of the um, uh, 
teacher support, professional development and things. And now I'd say 75% of my day to day is working on game development. So that's from, this includes in, uh, creating the initial concepts we want to cover in a game. So kind of targeting the learning objectives and the topics that we want to hit. Um, jam with some designers to get like some kind of an initial idea of the game or what kind of mechanics we could add to the content. Um, and then working with our fundraising team to win grants that pay for this stuff. Cause this is all nonprofit. We're supported by grants and donations. Um, and so really we have to sell our idea before it's born. <laughs> we have to really sell, sell the concepts. So mm -hmm. that's a lot of my job is, is just coming up with and then um, pitching. And then once we kick off a project, which is very exciting to do, um, it's my job to be the basically the subject matter expert. So I'm the person that um, becomes the expert on the Federalist Papers or becomes the expert on the Electoral College or whatever. Um, and being a civics teacher in, in the past has helped me with that a lot. Um, I also assist with designing and development decisions. So I sit in the room once or twice a week with the development team at Filament and just work through making things. Um, that's down to art decisions, um, to the pacing of the game, to how much content, how much tutorial, what, what all that stuff is needed. So I'm, I'm able to kind of be in the room when the cool stuff is happening. Um, and then I write the content for the games. So, you know, all the, all the little quippy, snarky, funny things that happen. I've got to think up. Luckily I'm pretty snarky. So it works. Um, <laughs> and it, you know, making stuff relevant for kids, um, making it, making it land. So they understand that it's relevant, that there's connections that they can make to their real life. Um, that's a challenge to teachers in general. And I would say if you ever have to, to figure out how to talk to a kid, ask a teacher, um, they know they have to know every single day. Um, <laughs> And it's not talking down to kids. You, you learn your first week in school as a teacher that you don't do that. It doesn't work. So kind of embracing them, understanding where they're at and meeting them there. Um, so that's a content thing. Um, and then another important part, like I mentioned before, is the support materials. So uh, the game guide, we have extension packs that kind of create this sandwich around a game. So some fun anticipatory activities, get the you know, juices flowing around a certain subject have the kids play, debrief a little bit, maybe extend what we couldn't cover in the game um, and go from there. So that's kind of from start to finish my ex my experience with uh, the development side of stuff. So what projects are on the horizon for iCivics? Yeah, so we have been hard at work refreshing some of our more popular titles that were made in like around 2010 or so, which was kind of our glory day of development. Um, they were in Flash, and as you know, Flash is dying. So we're mm -hmm. moving them to Unity for the most part, which is a huge undertaking. It's it's not a simple push a button, turn it into a Unity game. Um, so when we do that, we refresh the content, we create all new arts, we, we upgrade the games in a lot of ways. Um, so that's kind of the undercurrent of work that's been going on. Um, but now... We are putting our finishing touches on our first, quote, new game since I think 2013 or 14. And it's about news and media literacy, which is kind of a big deal right now. Mm -hmm. And basically it tasks the player with uh, running a social media site that's news focused. And it's a really fun way to kind of show good content as well as digital deception 
false reporting, fake news, whatever you want to call it, um, as well as teach skills relating to being a savvy consumer of media. So their job kind of, they enter the social media world as a guest, eventually like tutorial wise, gain more power within the social media site, um, become a curator and, you know, kind of just then get to report things and post things and feature stuff to kind of make sure the traffic's there, the integrity of the site's there and legitimate. Um, and so it's kind of a, it's a, it's a kind of neat game and a bit of a departure from what we usually do. Um, but it's a really important topic and it's, uh, it's a bit of a hoot. So I'm hoping, I'm really excited that comes out, um, early October. Mm-hmm. Other game that I'm working on isn't, I think until early 2019, but we're basically putting players in the middle of the ratification debate. So their job is going to be um, to understand and they're a pamphleteer and their job is to kind of get the arguments on both the pro and anti-ratification side from the federalists and the anti-federalists, and then try to basically change history and, and uh, influence history and to see if, if their editorial pamphleteering skills can sway the masses one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talking about media literacy, I mean, that's like, so that's like such a big deal for me because, you know, my daughter uh, was recently given a smartphone and now she knows how to Google things. And it's only been a couple months and I'm already incredibly terrified about the <laughs> implications <laughs> of, of uh, you know, being in a digital world. Yeah. It's Excuse terrifying. Me. Being in a digital world and everyone wants you to believe something. Yep. And I mean, I feel like I developed a good sense of knowing what's real and what's not. But I mean, that was after years and years of, mm-hmm. you know, figuring that out. Yeah, so I'm super excited about that. I think that's incredibly important. Um, I I do know that at school they attempt to, I guess not so much media literacy, but I, at school my kids have been learning about privacy online and stuff yep. like that, uh, which is really interesting. I'm glad they're at least attempting it. I feel like there's so much more to learn, you know, because I I know that people my age and older than me at my work have have had a lot of problems with understanding about, you know, how not to click on an email that has an attachment and, you know, things like that. Ten games to make about this topic alone. You know, there's there's so many things um, that are so critical that like five minutes on any any social media site today shows you all the problems that we have. So it's it's a I've carried this as a very heavy weight because it's so important. You know, it's so timely mm-hmm. and it's so important to to try to get right and, and support our kids and figuring this stuff out and calling us grownups mm-hmm. out because <laughs> we deserve it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So how can people get involved with and support iCivics? Absolutely. Um, basically, uh, just go to our site. Check us out. Uh, we are free. You can get on there and play any game you want for free. No big deal. If you want to check out the teaching materials, um, we do ask you just to create a quick free account again, no big deal, but play that. Like if you have kids play with your kids, I've got, um, folks using our games as young as third, fourth grade. 
with, you know, an adult kind of being there to help with work, you know, definitions or anything, um, all the way through community college professors using our stuff. <laughs> so it's kind of amazing mm-hmm. that even though we targeted initially middle school, we're heavily used in high school and then we're, we're used pretty well in upper elementary as well. Um, and playing with your kids is also super great because you get to talk with them. You get to unpack stuff. You get to bring your own kind of expertise as a citizen to the fore or, or explain what you don't understand and let them help you. Um, kids love to show adults how to play games. <laughs> so they will become an expert before you are. Um, or an adult, honestly, play by yourself. I I sneak a game once in a while that I, I just like to play um, of our own games just, just for fun if I need a break. Um, and also we do have a number of our games on iPad now, so you can, you can go to the uh, app store and play the, play them there and then check it out and then tell teachers that, you know, tell anybody, you know, that's, you know, just find out about us, explore, see what, see what you want to see, read our about page if you'd like, and then um, just let any teacher in your life know about it and tell their teacher friends. Um, the other big thing, and this is just so important is um, advocate for more civic education in your school district or your state. Um, find out what they are teaching, um, how they teach it. You know, that's a big deal. And then of course, since we rely completely on philanthropy, you know, we do have a donate button. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're moved to share and give, um, we'll take it and we'll put it to good use. We are so efficient. And I think we've got 14 staff members and we serve over 80,000 registered teachers and hundreds of thousands of kids every, every day. So um, we just work really hard at that and uh, just check us out. We're on Facebook, you know, all the social media places, all the buttons are on our website too, to check us out. But we have a pretty fun social media um, presence and uh, it's it's just a fun, it's a fun site. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to talk about iCivics and I'm really excited to see uh, how these games evolve and in everything that iCivics does in the future. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks to Carrie for talking with me about iCivics. This project is one of the biggest names in serious games right now. It is inspiring to see what a collaboration between educators and game designers can create. I think that it is one of the most important projects to know about as more games are figuring out how to influence the real world. And I think it is a testament to how far games have come in the public eye to have so much support behind them. That's it for this week's Intelligence Boost. If you like this episode, you will love the upcoming series on games and education. Remember that you can find Plus 7 Intelligence on Twitter, at 7 underscore intelligence. And join our little community on our Plus 7 Intelligence Discord server at discord.gg slash plus 7. That's P-L-U-S numeral 7. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in 7.
Music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder.